the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The dynamic is true. Whatever is in the hearts will be uttered through the mouth. We will learn that truth here today as we continue our journey through Galatians. Next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. There And welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We're taking a look at the essence of Christianity today, and we're understanding the dynamic of Christianity. True Christianity is what ushers from within a man, not what a man does. You see, we are Christians because of God and what he's done inside of us, not because of what we do to endear ourselves to him. It's the inward parts that matter. We invite you to join us today as we turn our attention to the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. We'll also spend a little bit of time back in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, the essence of Christianity. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Look back at Galatians 4 with me, chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise But as of that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. So we are believers. We as believers are children of promise. God promised to give us salvation, which includes faith. And therefore we believe because God promised it. And having promised salvation to us, he now causes us to be born by his spirit And enables us to receive that salvation by faith and live in a way that is faithful to it. So the rest of our life now as Christians who are born in the Spirit as children of promise are able to live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and be led by the Spirit. Notice in verse 16 of chapter 5, it says... But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. Verse 25. If you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So this new creation has reference to the life of the Spirit that begins when the Holy Spirit makes a Christian out of us, comes into our hearts and takes up residence there. It gives us the power that we can depend on to be faithful people of God. He leads us through this life by His Holy Spirit and then causes us to walk by the Spirit's rule. The Old Testament describes this recreation of the heart as a change of the heart. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, 26. In spelling out the heart of the new covenant, prophesying what Jesus would come to do hundreds of years before he was born, God says this through the mouth of Ezekiel in verses 23 
and 26, or 25 and 26. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So here you see this recreation of the heart described as a change of heart. He takes the old stony heart out. He replaces it with a new heart, a new heart that is responsive to God, a heart of flesh. And he fills the heart with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in that new heart causes us and enables us and motivates us to carefully observe God's commandments and walk in the way that he has set before us. So this is the new creation he's talking about. It does affect the external behavior. But external behavior, rightness of worship, correctness of living externally, without this new creation, this new birth, this spiritual resurrection, this change of heart, means nothing. Sometime we'll go into this, what I'm going to talk about now in more detail. But the new creation is not just a reference to something that happened personally and individually and spiritually to the believer. But in the New Testament, this creation, this new creation is also cosmic. For instance, the phrase I quoted a while ago from 2 Corinthians 5, which says, If any man be in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new, can be interpreted as to say, If any man is in Christ, behold, a new creation. That men and women in Christ whose lives manifest that they are in Christ give evidence to the fact that we are living in the midst of a renewed creation. In Revelation 21.1, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the word for new there is not something new that has never been in existence before, but something that is renewed. So he said, I saw a renewed heaven and a renewed earth and a renewed universe. In Isaiah 65, 17, the Lord declares, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And it is in the context of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that new heavens and new earth that God will create that brings us such rich transformation to the lives of God's people and which will result on this earth someday when people will live for hundreds and hundreds of years. So God's ultimate goal of salvation is a renewed people, a recreated people in a new renewed, recreated universe. And just as we are born again and our new creations... So the Bible speaks of the whole universe as being born again and regenerated. You say, huh, where does it say that? It's in Matthew 19, 28, and 29, 
where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you that you have you who have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne. You will also sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. Now, I'll not go into all the details of this verse, but I would have you look up later Luke 18.30 and Mark 10.30 to see that Jesus relates this not only to time on this side of the second coming, but the time on the other side of the second coming as well. And he said there is a great regeneration that will take place when Christ sits on his glorious throne. Now, is that talking about the end of the world? That there will be a great regeneration at the second coming and then the whole universe will be regenerated, recreated? No. Regeneration comes at the beginning of the Christian life, not at the end. It is the glorification that takes place at the end of life. Regeneration takes place at the beginning of life. Regeneration is not when you are made perfect. That is glorification. Regeneration is when the process begins and you begin to be made new. And Jesus speaks of this great regeneration that would take place and it begins when he takes his throne. Now, when did Jesus take his throne? The Bible says that when God raised Jesus from the dead in Ephesians 1.19 and of course, numerous other places, and he ascended to God's right hand, that is when he began to reign. Philippians 2 says, Christ humiliated himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name Lord, which is above every name. That is when he took his throne. That is when he became king. So God raised Jesus from the dead, and he ascended to God's right hand, and that was the beginning of the great regeneration of all things, because God's ultimate goal is not to simply save a few solitary individuals here and there, detached from other individuals, and then just chuck the rest of the world and history into a trash heap. The ultimate goal of God's creation is a new creation in the fullest sense of the word. People in a new universe. With Christ, God has begun the regeneration and the transformation of the world to rid it of sin, to make it the home of the righteous. So, what matters? Doing the right thing without heart means nothing. It doesn't matter for anything except to earn you a place in hell. Worshiping God correctly, going through all the Form, saying all the prayers, doing all the right things, taking the Lord's Supper. All of these things without heart count for nothing. It'll only get you to hell. What counts, what makes everything else worthwhile is the new creation. So the essence of Christianity is not the mere performance of correct ceremonies and conduct divorced from spiritual renewal. For without that renewal of the Holy Spirit, nothing amounts to anything, even if it is done correctly. So I ask you before I go on, what are you counting on to be accepted by God the moment you die? Which you all will. 
And what are you banking on now to make you acceptable with God then? Is it something you do? You know, I come to church every Sunday. Well, that doesn't do it. I take the Lord's Supper. That doesn't count. I've been baptized. I'm a member of the church. I don't steal. I abs- I'm absolutely truthful. I don't run around with other women. Is that what you're counting on? Something of worth and value about you doing the right things and saying the right prayers and being members of the right church? That all means absolutely nothing. If that is what are you, you are counting on, it means nothing. The only thing that matters then and there is the new creation. And how do you know you've been created anew by the Holy Spirit in the heart? Everyone who has been recreated believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and rests upon him alone for salvation and banks on what Christ has done in his death. Christ's life, death, and resurrection is his only hope for salvation. Someone who is a new creation is someone who looks away from himself, looks away from Anything that he does, anything he has ever done, anything that he thinks is worth, and he banks his internal destiny upon the worth and the value and the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ in his place. He's resting upon Christ alone for salvation. So I ask you again, what are you counting on to be accepted with God the day you die? Circumcision means nothing. Uncircumcision means nothing. New creation means everything. Now let's look at the second sexual trait of true Christianity. Galatians 6 verses 14 and 15. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. What is the point being made here? Christianity is a matter of what God does for us in Christ, not what we have done for God. Now, that sounds simple enough, but that is the distinction between Christianity and all man-made religions and all synthetic versions of Christianity. Christianity is a matter of what God does for us in Christ, not what we have done for God. What is the distinguishing feature of Christianity against all other religions? In every other religion, you have the story of man's attempt to get to God, to pacify God, to get God to like them. In Christianity, you have the story of God condescending in grace and mercy to man to save sinners and to bring them into fellowship with himself. All of Christianity, every aspect of it focuses on that and is consistent with that it is a matter of what God does for us in Christ not what we have done for God so when we talk about Christianity we don't talk about our accomplishments we don't talk about how good we are how good we sound how much God needs us how thrilled God is that we love him When you listen to much of Christianity today, it's all about my rights and my decisions and my worth and my acts and the exercise of my will. But in biblical Christianity, the emphasis is off of what man does. It is only what God does in Christ. Look at verse 12. 
Those who desire to make a showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted or prosecuted for the cross of Christ. Verse 14. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Now, those phrases, the cross of Christ and a new creation, are deliberately inserted there to remind us that Christianity is a matter of what God does for us, not a matter of what we do for God. The point is that the cross of Christ and the new creation are phrases that remind us that salvation is in its entirety a work of God and not man. Let's take a closer look at these two phrases. The cross of Christ. When he died on that cross as our Redeemer then and there, by himself, single-handedly, he accomplished our eternal redemption. Did you help him? Were you there to help him while he was hanging on the cross? Of course not. Therefore, we have nothing to do with the song that says, Are you able, says the Master, to be crucified with me? Yea, we are able, says the arrogant singer of that song. The phrase, the cross of Christ, means our eternal redemption was accomplished by Christ alone without our help in any way. How about the phrase, a new creation? We were recreated. Did we play a part in that? Did we help God recreate ourselves? No more than we helped God create the whole universe out of nothing in the beginning of time. Salvation was planned by God from all eternity, back before the beginning of time in eternity, when God planned to save sinners and planned which sinners he would save and planned to send Jesus to die for sinners. Did he ask you for your input? Did you help God in the development of his policies for salvation? No, you weren't there. Were you there on the cross? No. Did you help the Holy Spirit recreate you? No. You did nothing. You contributed nothing. You did not assist in one thing because in the accomplishment and application of salvation to us, God does for us in Christ what is impossible for us to do for ourselves. Have you noticed what those images have in common? A while ago, we talked about a new creation, regeneration, resurrection. Do you notice what those things have in common? The passivity of the one whom is affected. That is, if we had a corpse here, deader than a doornail, and if you were to raise him from the dead, if he was to raise from the dead, could he help you? When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth, did Lazarus somehow help Jesus? No, when it comes to the new birth, did anyone here choose to be born? You had as much to do with your spiritual birth as you did with your physical birth. Absolutely nothing. When God raised you from the dead spiritually, you were spiritually lifeless before. You could do nothing to help him. So you see, 
Whenever the Bible talks about the planning of salvation, the accomplishing of salvation, the applying of our salvation to our personal histories and our personal experiences and to the world, it is always a sovereign act of God. It is something God does for us, not what we do for God or even with God. Remember what Jonah said when the great fish spewed him out on dry land? Well, he didn't say, I'm glad I talked to that fish and letting me loose. I mean, why didn't he drown in the salt water? Why wasn't he dissolved in the acid, acid from the fish's stomach? It was all of God. So that when the fish spewed him out of his mouth onto dry land, all Jonah could say was, salvation is of the Lord. I can't look to myself it's nothing I can do. It's nothing I contribute to it. It's nothing I am. Biblical Christianity is the story of what God has done for us in Christ, not what we have done for God. And my friends, nothing humbles us and puts us in our place like this very point, this gospel of sovereign grace that God does it all. Nothing in history or the universe cuts us down to size like the cross upon which Christ died. Our inflated self-esteem disappears and we shrink to our true size at the foot of the cross. Because human beings hate this kind of humbling. They attempt to, res to reconstruct Christianity without a cross. Or to reinterpret what the cross means as did the Judaizers. Who said, can man do something? Man must do something to earn salvation. And therefore, complete God's atonement. And I dare say, that is what the average person who confesses to be a Christian believes. They say, I must pray to Jesus to get the grace I need to merit and earn my salvation. Oh, I don't have the strength myself, so I must believe in Christ to, strength, to get the strength to make enough points with God so that at the end of my life, everything will be okay with me and God because I have won His favor. And what is the message of the book of Galatians? Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. It's not that you get strength from Christ to help you save yourself. It's that you go to Christ to save you because you cannot save yourself and because there is nothing you can do to earn salvation because all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. So whenever you see the phrase, the cross of Christ, Whenever you see the phrase, a new creation, understand what the implication of these phrases are. That Christianity is at the heart of the story of what God has done for us, not what we have done for Him. Do you know what we have done for God? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Acts teaches us to believe that God does not stand in need of anything that He has made. You were made by God's hand, right? He doesn't need you. You can do nothing for God. You cannot benefit Him in any way. Whenever you try, even as a Christian, even as a mature Christian, even if you are in the highest levels of maturity as a Christian, you have never done anything that is worthy of God's favor. Never. 
You say, well, I believe in Jesus. Yes, but God gave you the gift of faith to believe. Then even in exercising that faith, it is polluted by the sins that fill your inner life. And if Christianity was the story of what we do for God, it would be the shortest story in the world. But what is the essence of Christianity in its most fundamental level? Is that its focus is not on external correctness of ceremony, ritual, conduct, but a new creation without which correctness and conduct means nothing and is impossible. Secondly, and lastly, Christianity is not the story of what we do for God. It is what God has done for us on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit because we can neither redeem ourselves from the slavery of sin nor can we change our sinful characters. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.